And hello, everybody. Welcome to Narrative on a Wednesday night, our election special. If you could hear the heavy breathing before I started, it's because nothing is really working as it should tonight. But it's going to be a great show. Stick around, I promise. <laughs> Jacobus is back. It's so nice to have you here. The GOP, former GOP strategist, is here. Sherry, how are you doing? Welcome back to Narrative. It's good to be here. I distracted for the past, I don't know, 10 months or so with a little bit of cancer. So a little bit of cancer. <laughs> Hopefully with done with that. You're looking great. Good to hear the good news about your uh, recovery and uh, may continue. So thanks for being here tonight. And Rachel Bitterkoffer is here as well, the strategist who we've had on before just recently talking about uh, democratic messaging. And she has a lot to talk about today, I bet, after last night's results. How are you, Rachel? Hey, I'm better uh, now that I've relocated to Oregon and don't live in Virginia. <laughs> Many people might yeah, be thinking, how do I get out of Virginia? That. That'd be a quick move. <laughs> got a lot of friends, though, and colleagues, you know, yeah. so it, it is painful. Certainly a lot of hand-wringing to be done over last night, and we'll be doing a lot of that tonight. Something going wrong in the democratic world, and we'll figure out exactly what that is with the help of YouTube, but also anyone on chat, please give us your comments, your thoughts, your questions on Twitter and on YouTube. We'll be monitoring those uh, throughout. We should mention right at the top here that it does appear that Phil Murphy has won the New Jersey governor race, first to do so in, in, in many years, a re-election of a governor in that uh, and swingy state, or it used to be swingy. It's not really that swingy anymore. Now it's uh, very much a blue state, I think. So that's the reason he maybe did it. I can't see exactly the final results here, um, and I'm not sure if it's officially been called or just been called by uh, the Wall Street Journal, which is what I'm looking at here. But it does appear like he will hold on to his office, which is uh, good news for Democrats in what was otherwise not a very good day in politics at all. Uh, of course, the big news came out of Virginia, where we saw uh, Republican Glenn Youngkin sweep to victory. This was a really remarkable thing. No one expected it. And there it was. It can only be called a sweep because basically an unknown just a few months ago. And now here he is. What's your read, Sherry, on what happened in uh, Virginia with uh, Youngkin's defeat? His, his victory, yeah. yeah. Things, and then I'll... I'll give what I think was the main thing pushing it, a, a lot of money. He was able to put tens of millions of dollars of his own money into this race. And usually in a year like this, after the other party you know, sweeps a presidential campaign and House and Senate, this is normal for Virginia. That said, Terry McAuliffe was running almost as if you could have been an incumbent going for re-election. He had been governor before, as you know, in Virginia, you can only serve four years at a time, you one term at a time. Uh, so he was a known quantity. I don't think the Democrats really put the effort into Virginia, to be honest with you. But ultimately, the effort um, in terms of the, money or the effort the, in terms of machine? Yeah, they just didn't appear to be working that hard. I think that McAuliffe came out into this kind of late, actually. And there wasn't like this consistent, full on effort, except at the very end. And it needed more than that, because as we know, the Trump Republicans have been out there pounding this crap, you know, for quite some time. Uh, Democrats lost the messaging war. They let the whole race theory thing be painted as, oh, the government's trying to control education. And that worked very well for educated white women in Virginia. They bought that. If you look at the exit polling on mm. that, high school educated, very different from college educated white women in Virginia. Also, close elections are won or lost in the margins. And I think that Democrats were not enthused or other people who were voting blue, uh, who voted blue in 2020 because they wanted Trump gone. They wanted Trump and his thugs to be held to account. They wanted uh, justice. 
And we haven't seen that. And it's becoming very rapidly demoralizing, even for the most sophisticated of voters and activists. You know, they aren't getting the legislation passed. They aren't protecting elections. And we suppose, you know, we give them the House and the Senate. Yes, we know about Manchin. We know, you know, we know about Senate, but we know all this. It is what it is. And so there just was, and we saw this going in. And if you look at the polling going into this, there was a very significant enthusiasm gap in Virginia between Republicans and Democrats. But both sides showed up in good numbers, didn't they? I mean, there was not a real turnout uh, disappointment. I think everyone felt good about the numbers coming out. This should have been a blowout. And there are some people who were on the margins Mm. uh, who could have been convinced to go for somebody they knew, like a Terry McAuliffe, who would have been a safe choice. Uh, They weren't quite sure about this stuff. They were easily scared, easily fooled. It worked. Rachel, this idea of critical race theory, I mean, no one really understands what it is. And I think that's half the point is everyone sort of made it their own. And uh, they've understood it to mean different things. And to me, there was one clip on uh, NBC, I think, where one mom was saying, you know, we don't want our kids being criticized for what happened in the past over race. That's how she took it. That's her understanding of what critical race theory is. I get everyone on TV saying, hey, they don't even do CRT in schools there. Yes, I know they don't do CRT in schools. That's not what they're talking about. It means something to these voters that they don't want to be blamed or they don't want to live in the past or they don't want to be accountable for the past and they don't want their kids to be accountable in the past. So CRT is a very real thing and it feels like it's not going away. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, it's a lab-created issue that's designed to dog whistle for white resentment and, you know, the challenge that white people feel as their population and hegemonic power is, is really being challenged, especially white men. So this is something that the, the GOP, I mean, literally, it's, I mean, I always joke and say they come up with stuff in the lab, and, and I know that Sherry could tell you this, but literally they came up with CRT in a lab, and it is by intentional design, meant to fill in the, as you just said, ambiguity Mm. of whatever white, like, you know, tension is there. And they're going to weaponize this all across the country in 22. And the question is, you know, I told Democrats, do not engage on CRT. It doesn't matter that you're right on the merits. It doesn't matter that CRT isn't taught anywhere. It doesn't matter what CRT is or isn't. As long as you're talking about the issue, you've already let them win. They lodged it into the political space so that you would be talking about this and not about Trump's multiple point at a tower after 2020, the Republican Party voting, you know, lockstep to cover that investigation up. They don't want us talking about their mismanagement of the pandemic, which killed at least a half million extra Americans. That's why they are doing those things. And I just want to add to what Sherry said in terms of the diagnostics from last night, that she's 100% right in her analytics there as like what happened and why and how. But one thing that I would add to it is that all of the things that came to play were 100% predictable, right? We knew and I started talking to donors with my organization, telling them, look, Virginia was a safe blue state because of enthusiasm. And once you have enthusiasm invert, we're going to see a really different competitive picture, especially down ballot where they lost control of the state house that no one's yet talking about, but Mm. eventually people will circle around to it. It was a sweep for the GOP and everything. Republicans also know very well in a state like Virginia that these parents were very easily flipped or very easily could pivot to really believe um, this propaganda because these are people who 
a lot of them, you know, frankly, didn't have a problem with their children jumping rope and, you know, playing Frisbee next to statues of Confederate soldiers who were leading a war to fight to be able to continue enslaving human beings and owning them like chattel. So and that's it wasn't that big, big of a leap. In right. They themselves were, were taught this lost cause narrative in their own K through 12 experience, right? Mm -hmm. And then they, they learned differently and their children are learning differently. So it, it, the reason CRT is a lose proposition for Democrats is because there is this fear amongst white people, especially non-educated whites who haven't been to college, don't have a lot of diversity exposure, that their status is threatened, right? Mm -hmm. And so it is easy to exploit. They are going to exploit it. And our only play is to not allow them to turn 22 into a national referendum on race. We cannot win that battle, even if we're right on the merits. Now that train has left the station. That train is, is happening already. Next year, they have defined it as race. You know, Steve Bannon said it as clearly as anything that he's sending out these women as his angels all across the country. And he'll be making sure that they continue to do this fight at school boards everywhere. You know, this is, this is going to be personal and it's going to be up front and close to everybody. And it's going to be hyper-localized for everybody. So it's not something we can avoid. I mean, to Sherry's point as well, he shared these stats earlier on. You know, white women college grads, 62% McAuliffe, 38 to Youngkin, the, the, almost the flip side of that, 75 to Youngkin and 25 to McAuliffe for white women non-college educated. So you're going to see this class divide really happen, or this education divide happen across the country. I'm sorry, I should show the graphics. There you go. Thanks for the dogs barking to agree with us. That's cute. We, let the, we like the dogs. But my point is this. My point is that it's going to you be know, race, and it's going to be class, and it's going to be local, and it's going to be coming to your school yeah, or no, in the no, near I future. Mean, you can't exactly run away right. with it. But here's the thing is, like, when Bannon's designing that strategy, mm. he understands that about us, that we yes. won't be able to resist, like, the battle back, the news coverage, the talk about it, the shows devoted to it, the footage that we'll show. They're banking on that. Just like they're banking on the youngins, if if they don't give them gun control or voting rights or Puerto Rico or whatever will demoralize them. So like when we know that they're strategically planning that it's like the law stuff that we talked mm. about last time with that when they're delaying the clock so that they can take control and then reverse law, right? right. Like yeah. we, we know what they're doing. So we must needs take a step back strategically and say, okay, if part of their strategy is our own behavior, we mm. need to behave in a less predictable way, strategically. So can we talk about democracy and authoritarianism is, and then they're talking about race? Will that be a weird election? We can't help that, though, because of white supremacism that permeates everything. So we, in some ways, we do have to get ahead of it and define this as white supremacism and show how abhorrent it is. And you do that by showing the insurrectionists, by showing you know, that the Confederate flag that they were carrying through the Capitol. And they've been ordered by pretty much by DOJ to give these light sentences to these people who who did this on January 6th. I don't know if we're going to be seeing indictments. I think if we don't, you've lost a lot of people. I think the midterms are really lost because a lot of people voted blue and held their nose on some of the policy issues because they put this, you know, one issue voters uh, getting rid of Trump and cleaning things up and accountability. And that goes through January 6th, which is steep in white supremacism. So are Democrats smart by getting ahead of it, by saying you, they want to come into school and teach this to your kids and scare your kids and blame your kids and that sort of thing? Yeah, that's what they've done. So 
So we can't really avoid it. We can't just say, we don't know how to message this or deal with this, so we're just not going to. I think that would be a mistake. Um, now, Rachel may be right. It might be a best strategy, but I don't think Democrats have yeah. thought that through, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I don't think no. they've fully been able to uh, digest what happened yesterday. But I, yeah, I, I don't think that, they, that we should have, have a knee-jerk no reaction idea. to say, we simply can't talk about race. I have to respond. To yeah, that. of course. This is really important. This is a really critical point. Okay? Mm -hmm. Go for it. I am not saying you don't talk about the race issue or tap into animus. Okay. What I'm telling you though, is you don't talk about it on the terms they want you to talk about. Mm. And Sherry, you're, you're right, right? You come at it indirectly. Ultimately, it, what's the point of talking of white, about insurrection and white supremacy? Where did the margins in Virginia matter? It matters on scaring the shit out of white suburban people and getting voters of color you know, uncomfortable enough to show back up at the polls because it's quite clear that that marginal part of the coalition has either vote choice converted themselves out and are being fear, you know, attracted to the GOP over this fear of, you know, their kids being indoctrinated with race stuff. And it's clear that we lost young voters, voters of color, Latino voters were hemorrhaging because we're not even messaging them properly, right? So what you have to do is talk about it in a way that makes these voters, these white suburbanites fearful for themselves because they don't care about other people. They care about them. That CRT ad that got the Democrats baited into talking about Tony Morrison to close out Virginia. Why was it effective? Because it was a mother wringing her hands, white lady, suburbanite. Oh, my children were exposed to porn written by a black author in high school, right? Mm. It was about her and her <laughs> kid making people afraid for themselves. And that's really, it's not about ignoring the issue. It's about engaging it in a way that benefits you. But if the choice that we're presenting then next year will be, you know, democracy or, you know, make people scared of authoritarianism. We say we don't want to, you know, want our fascism to come back at us, or it's going to be between fascism or your survival of your white race. People are going to choose white race anyhow, if they care only about themselves. That's a just tough one to win. Um, I'll tell you something that Kevin McCarthy is very happy today. He said, if they continue to push these policies, it could be one of those biggest election losses for Democrats next year. He's predicting, it's just his prediction, 70 seats will be lost by the Democrats based on, on what he's seeing in the results. Now, who knows if that's true? It's probably wishful no, thinking. No, it's like 40. Yeah, but it's a lot. It's, you know, it's not going to be, <laughs> it's going to be hard to win a majority in the House. And so that's scary for everybody. And he's got a point. The Republicans have been given a, a pass. They are not actually being held responsible for the last five years of mayhem. Sherry? No, they're not. And that's the problem. And that's why, you know, you, you have all these folks that voted blue, like me, lifelong Republican, former spokesperson yeah. for the Republican National <laughs> Committee, ran Republican races, worked for Republican leadership, or during contract America, I was in Newt Gingrich's office, you know, four days a week for, for meetings. And what Trump has done and what my former colleagues and friends have done to this country is appalling to me as it is to a whole lot of other people. So, you know, we put the country first and voted Democrats in, and they're not doing what we sent them there to do. So you've got an enthusiasm gap right there. There's no question about it. I think the only way to fix this is with indictments. I don't know what Garland is doing. I was thinking, okay, is he holding off until after the Virginia elections because he didn't want to get Bannon fans 
angrier, you know, and show up or just not have basically not have an impact. So it wouldn't be you wouldn't even want to have an, a political impact by the actions of the DOJ. Well, yeah, it's becoming very uncomfortable uh, with everything he appears to be sitting on, uh, frankly. And many of us are very, very nervous and very vocal about that. You know, there were 10 counts of obstruction of justice in the Mueller report that was, you know, handed. I mean, that's sitting there tied up in a bow. You know, there's a lot, you know, we've got, you know, Michael Cohen who went to prison uh, for a crime that Trump was named co-conspirator. I realized Cohen, you know, pled guilty. He wasn't you know, deemed guilty by a jury, and that might be part of the problem. So, you know, we're all kind of hoping that Merrick Garland does the right thing. If he doesn't, I mean, I don't have any answers for it. It's just so confusing for some of the legal eagles. You know, you've got Lawrence Tribe, you've got Glenn Kirshner, you've got people just really confused about how nothing is happening. Uh, you've also got, you know, you, when you've got a guy like Steve Bannon out there who is, uh, ginning up his troops and he's the one that's able to push a lot of this propaganda and be this leader of the white nationalism and and tearing everything down you know he should be behind bars he was pardoned should be by trump and we don't hear a lot of people talking about that there's these people that should be referred to as criminals every time roger stone appears at some republican event they should be pounding on it he's a criminal i mean would you have oj simpson coming to these events and speaking on issues and we've i i feel like our side have almost become as desensitized to this as the republicans have and that's very dangerous. Uh, no, that's in, in that's one way of, of uh, looking at it. The other way is to say that the message last night was don't go after the Republicans. I mean, you, I agree with you that, you know, some stern action against the Republicans will you know, reignite that sort of fervor that we had. But the other way of looking at it is that white voters don't care. White suburban voters know what happened and they just don't care and they want to move on and yeah. they don't want to look back. And I, maybe that's the message from last night. They are Rachel? Hearing, but they're not hearing proper pushback, though. You don't right. coddle. Look, we got Trump by coddling white nationalists. We're going to if you keep coddling white nationalists, you get more Trump. Right. Uh, so we have to be a little good more point. sophisticated about it. And that's why people like Rachel are so good at this. So, Rachel, what do we do about this lapse or this missing messaging that's out there? Yeah, I just want to say too to like to me, and this has nothing to do with your illness, Sherry. Like this is about your heart and your soul. Mm -hmm. To me, every one of you never Trump people are American heroes, right? I mean, this is a moment that is I mean, as a political scientist, as an expert in psych and behavior, there is nothing harder than what Sherry Jacobus and other Republicans have done. And that's why I agree with her 100%. What they have had to do is like so astronomically more difficult that Merrick Garland is being asked to do, which is enforce the rule of law. Because if we do not have the rule of law in America, then we have nothing. Right. And the only justification that you can come up with for inaction is this fear that it will look political. Well, let me I am here to tell anyone that hears this, like what is plain politics is deciding not to uphold the rule of law in a country where the law is becoming flimsy because you think the other side's going to accuse you of politics when you could do nothing and they would do that. Right. I mean, so you have to take action yeah. to cite action she's right if they don't by 22 it doesn't matter what i'm doing it doesn't matter if my budget finally catches fire and i'm able to actually build the shield i wanted to come and put in virginia and couldn't <laughs> it, it's all going to be for naught because they people 
have to, it's not like Virginia, and as, yes, it's true the Washington Post editorial board penned a very good, and it was, this was a big moment for them, begging people, look, Youngkin will not affirm Joe Biden's the legitimate president, will not affirm that he would have sent troops to D.C. on January 6th. You cannot vote for this man. He's a danger to national security. And it was ignored, you know, at least to some extent by the D.C. elite suburban vote right uh, so but it's not that that was not made the point in virginia can't mcculloch campaign I, I tweeted about this earlier took like a dabbled like almost like they were trying to do algebra without knowing multiplication in terms <laughs> of trying to nationalize this governor's race they certainly did not articulate a nationalized strategy in the way in vain that sherry knows the republican party is capable of where you make it about a national referendum on the brand you poop on the brand and you make it about a personal reason why somebody should care if Glenn Youngkin is like Trump. If there's no reason, like if it's just about this guy being like Trump, why should I care? You have to make it like, because if you don't care, they're going to destroy Northern Virginia. They're mm. going to, you know, uh, next time there's a coup, they're not going to certify an election. You have to make stakes to voters and make them see why this matters. There's, and honestly, there's nothing more bread and butter than the survival of democracy. You mm. have to paint that picture for the electorate. Right. If, if the GOP can make voters care about CRT, you don't think we can make them care about democracy? Mm. Give us money, we can do it. So why didn't uh, they manage to do that with Trump? I mean, the Trump does sort of mean that to Democrats. I don't mean it to every Republican, but have they forgotten so quickly? It was only 10 months ago. Why can't they remember what Trump was like? Is it really just Democratic well, messaging? you got to meet voters where they are. They're not mm. us, dude. Mm. I mean, we are one percenters. Yeah. Like we are. Anybody watching this show, you should not assume anything about other people in terms of political behavior, civic knowledge, anything like that, based on yourself, because you're a freak. Everybody <laughs> else is not like you. They don't know who Nancy Pelosi is. Go walk through a grocery store <laughs> and start yelling, hey, who knows Chuck Schumer? And someone's going to be like, hey, isn't that the pitcher for the Yankees? And they're going to be like, yeah. no, dude. Okay, because like they don't know any of this. So if, if the reason that democratic emergency is not the most salient issue mm. out there right now is because we didn't make it the most salient issue. Right. If you can make Benghazi salient, if you can make we salient, we can do it. But there is this sort of, you know, running on... Um, Democrats assume that everybody already gets it. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, Democrats, um, they say, I can't believe that anybody voted this way yesterday. They assume that if you say something once or twice, everybody gets it. And they don't. You have to, it has to be repetition. You have to keep pounding at it. And we keep, in Democrats, I'm not a Democrat, but you keep, they keep jumping around to different things. And, you know, that's Trump and Trumplicans controlling the agenda because he's got a, he crimes d differently every day. You know, he, that's what he did. He always controls the media narrative because, you know, he's sexier in that regard, not sexy like, ooh, I mean, I got to find yeah, a whole different Find word. a different adjective, he's yes. More, <laughs> we know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's more interesting. He knows how to grab the cameras. And he had been cultivating those friendships of the, the media executives for years. He could pick up the phone to make Roger Ailes and Jeff Zucker do his bidding. And this is when in the primary, I'd never heard of such a thing. It was terrifying and frightening and disturbing that he was able to do this. So he knows how to control the media agenda by just jumping around and the media follows him. He says something new, does something outrageous, even though he's not on Twitter anymore, they all follow. Now you've got Bannon doing it. 
I wish the Democrats would do some heavy duty polling to see which of the Trump crimes and crimes of Trump's most best known allies and family members are the easiest to understand and would be the most offensive to voters should you pound away at them, not just on the left, because you know you don't preach to the choir and we're putting too much money into preaching to the choir. Mm. But how do you find those persuadable voters? Because close elections are won or lost in those margins. You've got to go surgically into those margins. And sometimes that doesn't mean hitting hard. It might be a different way of talking to them about how corrupt Trump is on certain things. But if there are indictments and if the indictments start raining down, that means our side would be controlling that narrative because there'd be so much happening, which is what Trump has been doing for six freaking years. So mm. much happening, raining it down, yeah. raining it down. And this is how you rain it down. And we need some justice and we need it quickly. And we need Bannon arrested like now. Hallelujah. That would be a good start. That changes the, that changes the narrative on Bannon immediately. It certainly yeah. takes us away from the narrative of this $3.5 trillion built back better plaid that is not getting through Congress at all. I mean, that seems to be clouding a lot of yesterday's results. Do you think it had an impact at all, Rachel, or do you think people are sort of dialing that out? No, I don't think it mattered at all. Like mm. I said, I mean, the, the election results in Virginia, like, I think my prediction a year out was that they would win the governor's race narrowly and lose control of the House of Delegates. So obviously, you know, they did worse than my prediction, but there's absolutely nothing that happened yesterday that I didn't see coming 100%. The districts that they lost are the, I had a measly budget, a measly, I didn't, I wanted to go build a wall around certain districts that my model indicates are going to be problematic for them because college education is lower there than in Northern Virginia. And that's where I wanted to spend money and shore up. I, all I could do was basically field testing in two of them, those two, um, as all of the set that I was most focused on, all five of those flipped to the Republican party. Mm. So, you know, I mean, it's the predictability, like we know exactly what's going to happen, almost all of what's going to happen in 22 right now, today. Mm-hmm. And like, that's bad, but we also know that we don't have to just accept that fate, like between Sherry and me and other innovators, we know what we have to do to at least have a chance to thwart the fate. And all we need to do is stop wasting money on the shit we know doesn't work and start directing it to innovation and strategic change. I want to get deeper into that uh, answer in a bit, because I think there's a lot of information you can share with us on that. But first, we have to take a break. So we'll be right back as well with your comments and what you can do heading into 22. Hi, friends. Thank you for supporting Narrative. Today's show is brought to you by Policy Genius. Now, there is no better time to apply for life insurance than right now. And it's not just the temperatures falling. Life insurance rates can go up with each year you delay buying. With Policy Genius, you can compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. You can save 50% or more on life insurance or $1,300 a year or more on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare those policies. Policy Genius licensed experts work for you, not insurance companies. So you can trust them to guide you through every step of the insurance buying process. Thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot and Google attest to Policy Genius's excellent service. You can get covered in as little as a week thanks to their award-winning policies that don't require you to do a medical exam. Instead, they do a phone call. This exclusive policy was recently rated number one by Forbes, higher than options from Ladder, Ethos, and Bestow. Just head to policygenius.com and in minutes, work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. Policy Genius will handle the paperwork and the scheduling all for free. They never sell your information to other companies or add on extra fees. You can head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. 
And our thanks to Policy Genius for sponsoring the show tonight. So, ladies, I want to hear about where you think America really stands. I'm going to show you a spectrum of American electors. And, of course, they are everywhere. But where do you think the, the crucial voters are? If you looked at this from a, you know, one to ten, you've got people on the extreme left, you've got all the way to the extreme right. Are, where do the bulk of Americans live right now on the scale between one and ten? Rachel, you go first. Between one and ten? I mean, honestly, it depends on if you're measuring symbolic ideology, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like, I'm conservative, moderate, liberal, symbolic, mm -hmm. uh, limited government, economic conservatism, or operational, because us political scientists, right? Right. Operational, so policy ideology. And if it's policy, it's definitely more like three. And if it's operational, it's more like center left. And if it's more like symbolic, like limited government stuff, it's center right. right. But let's talk about what people are really voting, which is policy, right? So what you're saying. So do you think that they're more center risk right is what you're saying? No, no, no. Policy wise, the that country is squarely center left. But here's the problem, Zeb, mm. I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I ran a survey, like an experimental survey to show people how powerful this is. Like mm. you can poll anything, infrastructure, build back better components all day long, family leave. It's going to poll fine unless, but it's going to be misleading and it's going to poll majority support. I mean, majority Americans want minimum wage up. So they want everything. Right. Okay. Even if they like limited government, they want it all, right. <laughs> right? which is why we measure why ideology not? in these two different scales. But, you know, even with that, like, even as they're telling you, you know, I want all of these things, let's say I ran the same poll and said, Republicans in Congress want to pass paid family leave, I would see much broader support. If I said, Democrats in Congress want to pass paid family leave, a lot of that plus 50% support you see mm. would whittle immediately away. Oh, interesting. Because like, once you put a partisan label on policy, that support changes a lot, right? So like when I talk about how it's not that we need to get rid of survey research, Democrats waste way too much money on it, R&D and not enough on tactical deployment shit. But like what we're doing with polling, like we could be doing much smarter if we were looking at how this partisan lens filters everything. And the only wow. thing in that exit poll data, I will tell you is yes, it looks like this big conversion swing and there is conversion swing. Persuasion happened. It didn't happen on policy. It happened on white racial resentment, mm. persuasion, branding, right? right. But it happened. Right. But the other story is the partisan composition of the electorate. At the end of the day, Republicans were more enthusiastic. And of that 55% turnout rate in a state that's fairly evenly divided, they dominated, right? Mm. And when you look at who voted for who in the exit poll data, it's like 95% of Biden voters voted for McAuliffe. 95% mm. of Trump voters voted for Yonkin. Right. Okay, so that suggests that as political scientists will tell you, we got about 10% of an electorate that's conversion like sensitive and the rest of it is locked in purely based on party allegiance on tribe. So of that 10, so they've got 10%, let's say which, of the electorate, we're on the scale of the 10% then. I'm uh, sorry. Oh, that the 10 scale percent, by the way, yeah. I'm, I gotta tell you, one of the best projects that yeah. 538 ever did, to, in my opinion, yeah. was when they mapped like a big, used, used a pretty large data set to show the ideological diversity of people who claim to be independent. Right. So they, okay? They're everybody. So there's moderates. There's some people, to tell you the truth, 
liberals who are independent are more ideological than Democrats are hmm. because many Democrats are black and many Democrats, black Democrats are very moderate, very hmm. moderate. That's why South Carolina is always kind of the proving ground, right? right? When they get to the Democratic primary. I think so, that's an interesting point. Um, yeah. And so like when you get the, the conversion swing in hmm. independence, hmm. like once we get all the data in, I will look at the voter file with some other people. And what I'm looking for is, okay, was there left leaning independent erosion mm. and right leaning independent surge? How much of that occurred? And the rest of it is conversion. Thank you for spending your time with Narrative and stay tuned. There's much more to this conversation in our next episode. Narrative is made possible by viewers and listeners like you who join at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Join today and support truly independent journalism. Patreon.com forward slash narrative.